0: Hello and welcome to the Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast, a podcast for all movie lovers. We tell it like it is, including news, reviews and interviews on the latest and greatest celluloid treats, from the cinema screen to the VOD and beyond. This week we are spoiler free reviewing two new movies and one new show that can be watched right now in your home, starting with Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams new Netflix original comedy the Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, TV stalwart Jon Stewart's second feature film directing gig, Irresistible, starring Steve Carell, and HBO's brand new hard-hitting period crime show, Perry Mason, starring Matthew Rhys, along with some classic movies to discuss in our Video Store Corner, Listener Questions, and this week's news. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of movie apathy. And we can't do that as Miles and Phil. As men, we are flesh and blood. We can be ignored. We can be destroyed. But as a podcast, as a podcast, we can be everlasting. As ever, I'm joined by less of a man, more of a symbol. Because he's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him because he can take it. Because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector... A Dark night. It's Phil. Good evening.
1: Where uh, is she? Where is she? That was my Batman impression. Did you like it? Um, yes. How are you, Phil? I'm oh, good, thanks. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> I'm glad.
0: So what have you been watching this week?
1: This week? Uh, I have been mostly watching... Uh, actually, I've been carrying on with Snowpiercer, which I mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. I'll watch another episode of that. I think I'm up to the fourth episode now, uh, and I'm enjoying that. I'm starting to gain some pace, and uh, it's kept me entertained. So that's, uh, I carried on watching that. Uh, other than that, I managed to catch up with the um, Ghostbusters episode of Reunited Apart. Um, and so for those listeners that are unaware... Uh, Reunited Apart is a show on YouTube, which is presented by Josh Gad of uh, Frozen fame, mm-hmm. uh, where he reunites cast and crew from classic films um, from what is essentially our childhoods, because I think he's not too dissimilar from our age. Yeah. Um, so, so far, he's done The Goonies, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings and Splash. Uh, and then Ghostbusters was the most recent one. hmm. Um, and yeah, that was a really good, I think it's only like 33 minutes, but it's a great watch. Um, it's great to see sort of a lot of the old cast back together and the crew that were involved, uh, reminiscing about their experience in filming it. Um, so yeah, that was really, really enjoyable. Also interesting to see Jason Reitman on there as well. And he's directing the new oh, wow. Ghostbusters film. Yeah. Mm. Obviously because his dad, Ivan Reitman, he produced the original um and so director. yeah it was interesting to hear his stories about how he was a basically as they mentioned in the episode i think he was uh one of the luckiest kids alive he got to be on the set of ghostbusters while they were filming it uh, and remember it which is quite amazing
0: pretty jealous of that one awesome. i still have yet to see it i'm not actually allowed to talk about what i've been watching this week because i promised last week i wouldn't talk about it but the truth is is that this show that I'm watching on Netflix is endless. it never stops and I don't know if I actually want it to stop or not um, because I'm obsessed with it. And I, was, I actually went over to a friend's house this weekend here in Manhattan. We went to watch the football, have some beers and uh, uh, himself and his fiance and um, and we ended I ended up actually showing them Terrace House on Netflix and I've realized that I am, I'm a sick person now because I'm actually trying to drag other people into my new illness. Um, but yeah, the less said about that, the better. (laughs) So in terms of this week, we, we have quite a lot of news to get into before we do that. I'd like to jump to the listener question section where each week we ask our ever growing followers on Instagram to send us some fun movie related questions. The bat signal was shining non-stop this week and we had a ton of questions flooding in so it, it's difficult to answer them all but we did choose two. And up first is Tammy in London who would like to know Hi Phil and Miles, I'll keep this short I'm a huge music fan but what are your favourite movie soundtracks? Philip, like a bit of music don't you?
1: I do like a bit of music and I like a lot of film
0: music too.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so <sighs> a little think about this and i think it's hard to name one that's my favorite but up there i'm going to name a couple so first one is the back to the future soundtrack alan silvestri and alan silvestri yeah so it's not only the like the motion picture like the score but also the soundtrack too but just because i mean that main theme by alan silvestri mm-hmm. is it's basically just your childhood in a it just brings back so many memories of watching back to the future when i was Absolutely. young because that that's just an amazing theme as it is but then obviously on the soundtrack you've got the Huey Lewis songs you know you've got the power of love you've got back in time which they're probably and you know obviously because of back to the future but i would say they're probably two of my favorite songs of all time anyway mm-hmm. they're just great feel good sort of 80s songs that i love and then you got other great ones, the Marvin Berry and the Starlighters songs that are on oh, there at the Earth end. Earth Angel, yeah, Earth Angel, which did, you should remember. But that was uh, our first dance song. Uh, not ours, not me and you. Me, <laughs> me and my wife. Not yet. i still holding. I'm still holding the candle. <laughs> you still, still holding, home, holding that candle. Yeah, uh, yeah. We used that as our first dance song at my, at my wedding.
0: What would we use as our first dance song at our wedding? <laughs>
1: Um, probably the, um, you know, the Lord of the Rings theme, like the, the, the when they cut to Saruman, yes. it's like, dun, 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 dun. that one. Yes. Dun, 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 yeah, it'd be that. Dun, dun, be that.
0: Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, we would dance to that at our wedding.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because it'd be great. <laughs> Slow dancing to the, <laughs> to that. I'd pay to see that, wouldn't you?
0: Well, we'll be uh, the father. The bride will be paying. So, whichever one of us is the bride, they'll be paying. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: back, back to full point. It. Yep, um, and then second on the list, but not second in order, the Ghostbusters soundtrack oh, is phenomenal. Again, all of the songs that just bring me back to my childhood straight away, and. No song on earth. I think you know. Obviously, you've got like Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and the like the themes from it, which are great. But I think mm-hmm. there's no song on earth that makes me want to run around in a blind panic and jump into the
0: into an ectomobile more than cleaning up the town. <laughs> just, just for people amazing. that aren't that don't remember that song, it's right at the start of the movie when they see the library ghost and the Ghostbusters freak out and they run out of the New York Public Library down the stairs. Is that right? Yeah. Like Ray's
1: throwing on his like overalls and
0: yeah. Cleaning up the town with the piano.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Love it. Absolutely love that song. And then, uh, yeah. So those two are way up there for me for sort of favorites, Mm -hmm. but there's others I could mention sort of composers and stuff. Hans Zimmer, massive, massively, you know, influential on loads of the films that are part of our sort of youth growing up. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, too many to name. With him, He's, his his CV is ridiculous.
0: Mm-hmm. And we 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 promised that we wouldn't mention the uh, Michael Bay movie, The Rock, this week. So, I mean, I just mentioned it. I've broken two rules already, <laughs> um, and I'm not actually going to pick that because I think it's an obvious choice. Did you have? Any yeah, other I thought you theme? would say that. Yeah, no, I, I actually I actually removed it. So, well, for Hans Zimmer, mm, I um, so I, go, go ahead. On. No, you I, go I, ahead. I was going to say that I, for me, I wanted to keep mine fairly brief because I could talk endlessly on this subject, and and I've actually gone, I've actually gone more for scores rather than kind of music accompaniment. Yeah. Um. So. I, I went I went with three scores that mean a lot to me. They I have a real like emotional connection with them, I think, to the source material and also in isolation. The first one would be James Newton Howard's score for Lady in the Water, which was an oft-maligned um, M night Shyamalan movie that he wrote basically for his his young children as a bedtime story, starring Paul Giamatti and Bryce Dallas Howard as a water sprite. Um it's not necessarily a great movie. I, I, I love the visuals of the movie. I love actually the story of the movie. And it's, a lot of people hate on it. But the score is absolutely incredible from start to end. And I do not fail to, does not fail to give me goosebumps when I, when I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, my next choice would be uh, Clint Mansell, who's done a lot of work, Requiem for a Dream. A lot of people know. Um, He's done a lot of work with Darren Aronofsky, one of my favorite New York-based film directors. Um, Again, another Marmite movie, The Fountain, starring Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. Um, Again, the score for that is... uh, It must have been a difficult one because that movie is set across three time periods, Spanish Conquistador, present day, and then future space bubble with a tree in it. And, (laughs) and, And somehow... He creates a score that connects with all of those elements um, as per the plot of the movie and is a stunning piece of work. Um, It's something actually that when I'm flying on airplanes, which I do quite a lot for my day job, um, I can put that on on the plane and it will, it will calm me down relax me um, and also inspire me as well in, in other ways. It's incredible score. So Clint Mansell, the, the fountain, and then final one, which is maybe more of an obvious choice, but was the, uh, the, the French-Spanish group M83, um, who in, in the UK are best known for providing the theme tune to, um, to some reality TV shows that shall remain nameless. Um, but for me, they did the score to the Tom Cruise, Joseph Kaczynski movie, Oblivion. And the score to that is absolutely phenomenal as well. Pulse pounding, techno rhythms, but also strings. Um, and uh, definitely one that I I absolutely love. And I just want to give a very special mention, sorry, I'm I'm hogging the airtime here, um, to Michael Giacchino, who is, you know, I think very much a kind of modern day, um, uh, I would say he's up there with some of the, he he could be up there with some of the greats. His scores for a lot of the Pixar movies, like The Incredibles are amazing. Um, But there's one particular track, which is called Letting Go, on the soundtrack to J.J. Abrams' film, uh, Super 8, which is yeah. absolutely breathtaking. Um, as, a, as a kind of total score, it's not one of my favorites, but that piece in particular is so stirring. And I actually went to his 50th birthday concert at the Royal Albert Hall in London, where J.J. Abrams came down and talked about his work, and he played his scores from all the different movies he has been part of, and it was really weird actually frank oz came out with uh with the, with the gonzo muppet and they did like a kind of fun <laughs> aside it was really bizarre um yeah. now i'm thinking about it and saying it out loud but pl- i saw him play the super eight um piece kind of sweet from that with letting go being that central part and it uh, it brought tears to to my eyes did you have any others that you wanted to to add uh no i don't think so for now there's plenty of some
1: great film films out there
0: Um, We absolutely loved, I think both of us love putting the answer to that question together. So thanks very much for that one. Definitely. Um, Also, our friend at Listen to the Film Podcast would like to know, if you had to watch any series of either a new Game of Thrones or the upcoming Lord of the Rings TV series, what would you choose? I, Uh, well,
1: I think I loved Game of Thrones but i think it is it it ran its course so and i'm a massive lord of the rings fan so definitely more up for seeing going back to middle earth mm. and getting into that realm of characters again um so yeah i'm definitely on the lord of the rings camp for that one
0: i i agree with you and i think maybe if if um if i was asked this question a year ago or just over a year ago before the the first sorry the last season of game of thrones aired I probably would have said, I without a doubt would have said a Game of Thrones series, Mm. whatever it is, in whatever form. And I definitely wouldn't have said Lord of the Rings, but I agree with you. Um, There there was actually a Game of Thrones prequel series, which was actually cancelled after they cast and filmed the pilot episode, due to substantially poor reviews. It was starring uh, Naomi Watts and kind of English, British TV, regular John Sim. Um, And that was that was actually kind of cast aside. They are still working on 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 potential Game of Thrones series. I think they had two or three um, that they were working on in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, there is the Lord of the Rings series, which is which is coming out. Um, I'm not sure if it's this year or next year now. From Spanish director J. A. Uh, Bayona, who directed The Orphanage, okay. um, The Impossible, and, the, and Jurassic Park, Fallen Kingdom, and obviously he has you know, form with horror and with big budget movie making, not unlike Peter Jackson when he, obviously he was brought in to yeah. the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. So that could be quite interesting. It's also being billed to be the most expensive TV show in history. Um, and it's rumored that this show is going to be costing Amazon $1 billion for the first Amazon show. Lot. Yeah. And it will be- How much? $1 billion, which is a <laughs> Dr. Evil-like number. Thing is- To make,
1: you know, to make that kind of show possible as a TV show like Game of Thrones, like Game of Thrones completely up the ante with the special effects in TV series, especially because you always, you know, before that, you you kind of always saw a bit of a hit on the special effects budget Mm. or something like that because it was for TV. But Game of Thrones changed it really. Yeah. Um, so to do a Lord of the Ring, you know, from the original films, just look at the special effects and the stuff they pioneered in those films.
0: Yeah,
1: you can see where a lot of that
0: budget will be going. Apparently, they Amazon actually went into a bidding war with uh, Netflix, and they won after paying two hundred and fifty million for the rights, and of, and then of course they're going to be they're obviously going to be paying the seven hundred and fifty million dollars production. And charges. Um, there, there is some interesting news on that, and that's that Peter Jackson isn't involved directly, but he, he has confirmed in recent interviews that he has been involved with some script writing consultation. Okay, um, obviously himself and, and his wife, um, you know, obviously co-wrote many of the, many of the movies. So, um, so that is interesting, and I think no one really knows that Tolkien world better to some extent than, than mm. him. So safe pair of hands. Yeah, I'd say so. So thank you for those awesome questions. Please keep them coming in. They make this such a fun um, and interactive experience for us and hopefully for you. Um, and if you'd like to get a shout out on the show, please do uh, find us on our Instagram account, uh, which is at MovieMouthPodcast or on Facebook and send us a DM. We'll be happy to, to take your question and read your name out on next week's show. So in the news this week, there's a lot to get into. I'll start um, some incredible news coming out of uh, coming out of DC. And that's that OG Tim Burton Batman, Michael Keaton, has signed up to play Batman slash Bruce Wayne in Ezra Miller's new Flash movie as part of the DCEU, um, which is just incredible after all these years and all these different incarnations of the character. Um, yeah. Apparently he's going to be playing a kind of Nick Fury type character, similar to the, the the similar role in the Avengers, I guess for the Justice League as a kind of mentor, um, which which is really interesting. So I'm I'm kind of for that. I, I like the idea of it, especially if they work in some kind of alternate time timeline, which I think they're doing at Marvel right now as well. Yeah. Um it, with kind of different dimensions and that kind of thing. But anything well that, of that brings Yeah, anything that brings Michael Keaton back on screen for me. Yeah, absolutely, should be awesome. Um, Amazon Prime Series "The Boys" is coming back, um, which of course is the the Karl Urban um, casted show. Uh, that season two launches on September fourth. I really enjoyed that. We were kind of spoiled with that kind of content last year with the Umbrella Academy on Netflix and and The Boys itself. Um, but that kind of alternate world where superheroes um, are kind of this uh, kind of dark have this kind of dark. Um, bent on on protecting us, but also being extremely um, irresponsible with their superpowers. Um, I, I really enjoyed some really dark stuff in that. So if anyone hasn't seen The Boys on, on Amazon Prime, I highly recommend it. It's, it's balls to the wall. It's really all the way out there, but really good. I'm really looking forward to season two. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean. So this is a bit of a snooze fest when you start talking about it. But <laughs> what's really exciting... Is that Margot Robbie is has now been attached to to star in a a new uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which I don't think really plays into the the Johnny Depp Jack Sparrow uh, kind of kind of role. So, which yeah. I think is I think is amazing casting because she's becoming such a powerful character actor, almost in the in the vein of Johnny Depp, yeah, or you know, in recent years Helena Bonham Carter. So yeah. I think it's a really smart move. I would. Genuinely be excited about this. I yeah, think, me too. Yeah. yeah, really exciting. And it's would uh, it be it's, like, it,
1: like? Number six in the Pirates would world?
0: be. Yes, it would be. It would be. So we are. Fi- yeah, we're five in now. Um, the first three were interesting. Then I think the fourth one was pretty bad. The fifth one I never actually saw. To be honest, I haven't seen the last one. Mm, um, it, it had essentially jumped the shark. Pun intended. By that <laughs> point. Um, so I think some kind of reboot with Margot Robbie in the lead, who I think is just incredible, especially you know um, in in her role as Harley Quinn, which I think she's incredible in that, very watchable. In fact, this movie is actually being written by the the same uh, person who wrote the the last Birds of Prey movie, starring starring her. So yeah, um, she's got form there. So I think that's that's really exciting. Um, in some some bad news, I guess a uh, tenant. The, the, the new Christopher Nolan film um, has been pushed back by an, uh, another month. Obviously, it was supposed to be out in, in July. It's now been delayed until August 12th, 2020. So it is still coming. They haven't pushed it all the way back. Um, it looks like movie theatres are beginning to open, but I'm hopeful that we're going to see that one in, in August because I can't wait for it.
1: Yeah. Uh, in delay news, it's even worse news because it's even longer. Uh, well, depending on how you look about this film, but I mentioned it earlier, but Ghost uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife has now been delayed uh, until the 5th of March next year. No, It was meant to, it. It was meant to be this summer. So, um, What did you do, Ray? <laughs> what did you do? It's yeah, I think, coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, so that's a shame. But
0: mm. uh,
1: from what you said on the uh, reunited apart that we mentioned earlier, it's given him time to sort of have a fresh look at it and sort of recut it and really, really make it how he wants. So maybe it's a good thing. That's exciting. Um, Another bit of news I have. I saw an interesting article about Christopher Nolan films being played in the Fortnite video game this week to keep people entertained during uh, the coronavirus. So yeah, within that game, there's i don't play it but there's screens on a hill on there and they've been i think it varied across countries so america got um america got inception and the dark knight i think mm-hmm. at different times and the uk got uh the prestige wow um and yeah so you could basically chill out uh, and it was using the uh, big screen technology in which if you've if anyone's into VR, they might know what big screen is. It's an app where you can basically go into a virtual cinema and you can, I think they've got a deal with paramount. So you can buy tickets to shows in there and watch films in VR in a really mm-hmm. great sort of VR cinema setting,
0: mm-hmm. um, on a massive screen.
1: Um, so yeah, it was quite. that's thought that was
0: quite an interesting link up. Really, I mean, wow, that is it's great cross promotional, especially for yeah. the new movie coming out, Warner Brothers. Well, probably well with Tenet, they
1: they've actually been at the start of every hour in Fortnite. This is what I read that they've they've been playing the trailer for Tenet as well in Fortnite. Wow. <laughs> it's just a whole new way of advertising, isn't it? That we wouldn't have thought possible
0: a few years absolutely ago. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, I know they had a uh, the the hip hop star travis scott did a full concert in Fortnite a few months ago which again groundbreaking visuals and just incredible just incredible ways for new media and obviously you mentioned vr and we've been having a lot of fun with a lot of those movie related apps content apps on on uh, on the (laughs) on the vr platform in sad news um we learned this week about the passing of joel schumacher the director of such incredible movies as falling down Lost Boys, St. Elmo's Fire, Flatliners, uh F- Phone Booth, Tigerland, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. Um he died aged 80 in in New York City this week related to to cancer. Um obviously uh, for me um a, a great director I love falling down in particular is great film. A big part of my growing up. Yeah. Um and you know I think you know The Lost Boys we've talked about in recent weeks on the podcast, um, some of the most incredible scenes and memorable things to remember from that from that movie. Yeah, um, St. Elmo's Fire. I absolutely love. So a, a real loss, and I think you know his career was definitely marred by the reaction to. Um, I think you know I think the Batman movies that he directed. I I think to be honest, Batman Forever is actually not a bad movie, um, yeah. and it certainly grossed more than Batman Returns. Yeah. Um, probably due to you know Jim Carrey also also joining that, um, but you know I think certainly marred by Batman and Robin with George Clooney, which I think um, you know it goes without saying it's not it's not a great film. It had its prob- it had its problems with the script and, and in production, um, and and a lot of a lot of people on social media you know pouring out very good kind of gestures towards him now. Um, Even if for the last few years, you know, I think a lot of people were kind of writing them off due to, due to that movie. So a real, a real shame. And, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, a real loss for the, for the the movie industry. Um, Yeah.
1: I heard a, uh, read a really nice, but sort of depressing quote, which said, um, you know, about Joel Schumacher. And it was, it was, uh, it said, the architects of our youth are gradually leaving us, which I thought was, a nice thing to say, but also a little bit
0: depressing as well. Someone better wrap Steven Spielberg in cotton wool right now, <laughs> put him into <laughs> cryogenics, just freeze him right yeah. now, so that we can thaw him out in the future, like Walt, <laughs> Walt Disney's brain. Um, but really, really sad news, and um, you know, obviously, very sad to hear it. We we don't like to see any of our heroes here here pass away, and Joel Sch- Joel Schumacher, who died this week, aged eighty. So, Phil, any uh, trailers for any upcoming movies that caught your eye this week? Yes. So, Mm. (laughs) I watched
1: the trailer for Waiting for the Barbarians, um, which is the new Johnny Depp uh, film. Mm. And this comes out on August the 7th. And so, yeah, it stars Johnny Depp, Mark Rylance is the lead, and uh, Robert Patterson. Mm -hmm. Um, and Mark Rylance plays a magistrate of a remote a remote settlement that exists sort of on the frontier of the empire Um, and it's about their peaceful existence being disturbed when the empire um, sends their version of the special forces basically called Mm -hmm. the third bureau which is led by Johnny Depp's character Colonel Yoll or Joel, I don't know how you pronounce that, and um, and his officer, Mandel, who is played by Robert Patterson. Um, and this is... Yeah, and
0: it... Is this a sci-fi, can I ask? <laughs>
1: it's like... not a sci-fi in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, basically, they hear that... Uh, the barbarians, who are sort of the indigenous people that live outside of the settlement, might be preparing to attack the town. Right. So this so, is
0: this is the this is the the British Empire you're talking about here. Yeah. In what Pacific islands? Or uh, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know actually. <laughs>
1: from from the trade, it doesn't
0: really. Oh, I mean, it sounds pretty interesting. I'd like to look up on it. Look it up.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it seems interesting, and I think the main theme of it is that. You know Johnny Depp plays the colonel and the officer, and that they they they're bad people mm-hmm. is the way it's put across. And I think the main theme of the film is that um, Mark Rylance as the magistrate starts to question the uh, his loyalty to the empire mm. and colonialism. Mm. So uh, yeah, it looks interesting though. It Looks like it could have some really good performances. And weirdly, Johnny Depp's wearing the craziest-looking pair of sunglasses that I think probably only he could pull off <laughs> in the trailer. So it's worth checking out just for that.
0: Is it kind of madcap Johnny Depp out there, balls to the wall? You know, full on Gonzo backcountry? Or no? Is it, it a more restrained like Johnny Depp? It's been looks, a while.
1: Yeah, definitely looks more, much more restrained. Um, mm. Yeah, and interesting
0: to see him play a more evil character i can't be the only one that's a little bit kind of tired of the shtick the Mm. tim burton-esque you know shtick these kind of out there mad-eyed wavy-haired characters yeah um it's kind of wearing a bit thin i'd like to really see what he can do you know going back to some of those roles like you know what's eating gilbert grape and a more serious tone to to, to his acting, I would, I would really like to see. Uh, I really like some the, the Rum one. Diaries, which a lot of people don't really talk about. Well, I didn't see um, that. Yeah, from from um, from the same director as With nail and I, which mm. I I really enjoyed for some reason. It was a bit more understated, but that I, sounds great to me. It sounds right up my alley. So I'm definitely going to check out that trailer. Yeah, it looks like it could have some really really strong performances in it. I think. I I saw the trailer for Greenland or Greenland. I don't know starring um, Gerard Butler. Um, It's from the director of the last uh, Has Fallen movie, which was Angel Has Fallen. Yeah. Um, And this is about a meteorite threatening an end-of-life scenario on Earth. From the look of it, I was hoping for a mix of, you know, that series' main character, the wonderfully named Mike Banning, squaring off against a meteor and ultimately offering it to play a game of fuck-off before announcing... You go first. <laughs> um, but it looks like we'll have to wait to see Gerald Butler punching an asteroid this time as the tone's a little bit more darker, uh, a bit more muted and, and serious. Well, it does look interesting. It looks some, like some really nice visual effects and things like that. Uh, yeah. I, I like Gerald Butler. I think he's very, very watchable. Yeah, I do. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that's one that's coming out. It says later this year. Um, but other than that, it wasn't a great week for trailers. It was a pretty quiet week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all all in this week we have three exciting new reviews starting with eurovision song contest the story of fire saga phil sat down to watch this one today what did you make of it so this was an entertaining
1: beast so this is the new um netflix film uh came out today Uh, it's directed by david dobkin and he's known for Shanghai Nights, Wedding Crashes, and he produced uh, RIPD as well. Um, it stars Will Ferrell, um, Rachel McAdams, Dan Stevens, and Pierce Brosnan makes a good appearance as well. So uh, Will Ferrell and Ra- uh, Rachel McAdams play Icelandic singers Lars and Sigrid uh, of Fire Saga, as they are known. Um and basically they're given the opportunity to represent Iceland in the in the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, I'll start by saying that this is a silly film, uh, a very <laughs> silly film, but it's one I've been looking forward to since I saw, um, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago actually, when uh, they released the music video that accompanies the film as a sort of trailer and teaser for the film. And as soon as I saw that, I wanted to see it um so yeah but it is silly so i I mean i know i know eurovision can be a bit marmite for some people you're either going to love it or hate it um i've personally i've always genuinely looked forward to it and it's not it's not because i like the endless euro pop music it's terrible but it's because I find it such a fascinatingly
0: bizarre spectacle to watch. I think we should just just pause for a second just to maybe bring into some of our listeners who aren't from Europe, um, especially here in, in the US, you'll have no idea what Eurovision is. So U- Eurovision is an annual song contest where countries compete with a chosen song within Europe and actually further afield now. We have Australia and Israel are part of it. And uh, every country submits a song with a it's a brand new written song um, with an artist and everybody competes. It's not like the X Factor. It's not, you know, judging people's singing. Um, It's basically, you know, which song really captures the the spirit of of uh, the festival of Eurovision that year. And then the countries actually have a phone based vote where everyone calls in and you vote and then the winner is picked from all of those different countries it's super camp um over the top brash super euro with crazy costumes and pyrotechnics and um all kinds of different dance moves uh, but it's a lot of fun and ev- everyone in europe kind of pretends to hate it a little bit but secretly everyone kind of loves
1: it <laughs> yeah they'll definitely watch it if they're on i think i think if you're if you're a eurovision fan um you're probably going to love it it's The songs are hilarious and very Eurovision esque, and it's quite fun. I thought it was quite fun to see Eurovision itself as you know the brand um, laughing at itself, basically, and sort of taking taking the piss out of itself because they know the kind of audience that they get and the reputation that the competition's got. So, yeah, I thought that was quite good. Um, With regards to performances. Uh, so with Will Ferrell, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Will Ferrell. I think he's honestly one of the best comic actors around for the last few years. I love him. I think he's brilliant. He's had a lot of hit and misses. Uh, you know, does a lot of middle of the road comedies, uh, mm-hmm. and then some a lot better ones. And he's, Daddy's Home, yeah, all those ones, and, and yeah, probably
0: Get Hard, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and then on, the you know he does some serious stuff as well. Um, and I think with his performance, there's, it's generally really good. Um, uh, I think there's a few hits and misses with lines and jokes, not just from him, from a lot of people, but it suits the role really well. And he does, it, he does a pretty convincing job. Um, Rachel McAdams, who plays his um, singing partner, um, she's great in it as well. Not, she's, not his sister. Not his sister, <laughs> they don't think. Um, she's really good in it. I think she had a really strong performance. Um, but I think what I found annoying is that her whole subplot revolves around her, her sort of longing for Lars, Will Ferrell's character, <clears throat> and hoping that one day they'll get together. Whereas, actually, he's a bit of a dick, to her especially. <laughs> so, like, why bother? Like, I thought it was just a bit of a, mm. I don't know, it was a bit of an old subplot, really. Um, yeah. Peter's Brosnan playing Lars's dad. I think he was a really welcome addition to the film.
0: He was great in and it. What a beard! His, his beard should have been giving a guest starring billing on the credit. I mean, I'm not
1: going to, but I hope
0: I look that good when I'm when I'm his age. I wish
1: I looked that good at my age. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Um, I did find his Icelandic accent more off-putting than anyone else's in it, though, because he just sounded Welsh. Lars, you've really disappointed me. <laughs> yeah. It's really... Don't go to the Eurovision Song Contest, <laughs> Lars. That's exactly what he sounded like. Yeah, it was a bit... Um, yeah, but other than that, he was great in it. Um, I think my perf- my favourite performance, though, in terms of both acting and the onstage song that he performs, um, one I'll probably say steals the show, is by Dan Stevens, and he plays the uh, mm-hmm. completely over-the-top but oddly very believable in the world of Eurovision, uh, Russian entrant of Alexander Lemtov. And his song performance is just hilarious. I think it's one of the best things in the film. He's having a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then the last performance I have to give an honourable mention to is the uh, unnecessarily angry local in the village in Iceland that... Literally shouts every line he's got, and I love him. I won't spoil it by saying what he played, what he what he uh, what he shouts, but <laughs> something to do with ya ya I believe. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then, with regards to the runtime, I think it, it was just over two hours. This film, and I think it was it dragged a little bit. I think it went on, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit longer than it should have done, mm-hmm. and you sort of find yourself with a towards the last bit it's the will he start won't third he, act yeah it's the, the will he won't he or will act. she won't she moments and they're yeah. a bit too drawn yeah. out you sort of just want it to get back to um just more of the eurovision stuff you want to hear more of the the terrible but awesome songs uh and it, it actually turns to be more much more of like a serious emotional sort of end doesn't it to to it but um yeah so i think it's a little bit long but overall, I think it was—it's a much-needed laugh um, with the current state of the world, and I think it should keep Eurovision fans happy, considering the
0: contest being cancelled this year. <laughs> um, it definitely—it was more of a love letter, I thought, than mocking it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I felt like I felt like it was more done with love than ripping it apart. Yeah. Oh no, I'd say so, but in a way that wasn't like saccharin, or you know, no,
1: no, it was. I thought it was I great. Liked.
0: I thought it was exactly
1: what is needed. So I'd say in summary yeah. it's a true Eurovision form it's maybe not a pois, but certainly not a pois either.
0: <laughs> but I recommend it. I I also recommend it and I, I loved it as well. Um, especially as you say, the lot of fun they were having with their Icelandic accents um, which could be offensive to Icelanders it could not, I don't know. Um, but the pronunciation of Seaman and Garfunkel in particular <laughs> had me rolling on the floor yeah. in tears. Um, but also, also that was really interesting is that, they, that Will Fer- Ferrell was actually singing in this. Yeah, he was, yeah. So he actually performed that. Rachel McAdams was also performing. Um, although I think a lot of her singing was kind of mapped with a Swedish singer. Um, to kind of, I guess, cover some of the elements because her her singing parts were extensive yeah. by comparison oh, yeah, to, to Will yeah. Ferrell's. Um, but it's really interesting, the story behind this, actually. Did you did you know about how this movie came to be? No. I know that Will Ferrell went to watch you. I know he's quite a big fan of it, and he wrote it, didn't he? Well, he's one of the so writers. So basically, yeah, so Will Ferrell's wife is Swedish. Right. And he had no idea what Eurovision Song Contest was, obviously being an American, he once watched it with his wife and then it became like a thing that they would do every year, you know, like you kind of do it in Europe. Um, and then he became genuinely interested <laughs> into it. He attended the finale in Copenhagen about five or six years ago. And then he decided to write and produce a movie. So it's, it comes from an actual place of love um, for, for the, for the song contest. Yeah. So kind of fun, a little aside, cool to see someone in Hollywood, you know, making that, making that step. Yeah, yeah definitely. So a recommendation then. Absolutely. Yeah. Very exciting. You can check that one out on Netflix now. It's streaming everywhere um, as of today, which is Friday, June 26th. So up next, uh, I watched the Daily Show host and writer Jon Stewart's second directing gig, which is Irresistible. This follows on after the less comedic but ultimately political Um, Rosewater, which was his directing debut This this movie, Irresistible, sees Steve Carell and Rose Byrne as dueling political strategists or strategists relocating to a small town that appears to be on its last legs and they move there to manage the mayoral campaigns of two local residents after a farmer, played by the always excellent Chris Cooper sees his pro-immigration speech go viral on social media um, this is a breathy, well cast, um, includes real food for thought about the financial backing of US political campaigns. Steve Carell's on great form here, as you would expect. Um, although his character lacks a little depth, we never really see what makes him tick. Um, but the MVPs here are, are played by the aforementioned Chris Cooper, um, who's really breezy. He's a retired colonel turned farmer. Um, who's moving into an alien political world, which is really fun. Uh, Mackenzie Davis of Black Mirror's finest moment, San Junipero, um, TV's Halt and Catch Fire. And she was probably the best thing in the last Terminator movie kicking ass as the killing machine, Grace. She adds a lot to this movie. Um, but standout was was Rose Burns foil to, um, to to Steve Carell's Gary, um, his kind of rival. Watching these two have these foul-mouthed exchanges one after the other was the highlight for me, um, and it left me wanting to see more of that in in the movie, rather than the finished product that we had on display. Yeah. It kind of seemed like it was from another movie, but she was incredible in this, and the, those scenes were, were so much fun. Um, some fun moments in this as well, such as a, a fake credit roll, um, and also with Hollywood's history of um older actors being paired up in romantic relationships with substantially younger female actors there was a, a an old man young um uh, woman romance that was looking ill advised but it was really smartly kind of rescued in a way that i i haven't seen before um almost highlighting hollywood's role in toxic masculinity and male chauvinism um so this is not a laugh out loud comedy by any stretch I didn't find this as preachy though. And sometimes politically charged movies can be a little over the top and preachy Mm. Um, until actually during the credits where there were some real world interviews. Um, This is a $20 home rental here in the States. It was supposed to come out in movie theaters. I probably would have paid to see it in theaters because I really enjoyed the trailer um, before Christmas, I think when it, when it first came out. Um, However, it, it might not be everyone's cup of tea. So I'd recommend it if you're a Steve Carell completist, if you're interested in current politics, or if you're wondering about what's really happening behind those um, scathing and chest beating political commercials that enrage and inspire us all to put that little black X on the voting ballot. So I I would personally recommend this film. I don't think it's going to be for everybody, but take from that what you will in my final review this week um, so I was pretty busy on the on the review you side um, I sat down to watch Perry Mason episode 1 bear in mind um, so this is this is based on the uh, the actual books where the the character actually originally originally uh, originated it acts as more of a prequel to the 1950s US TV series starring Raymond Burr. Um, it's produced by Robert Downey Jr. and his wife Susan interestingly okay. Um, and has so far debuted to the largest HBO opening for a new show since the excellent Sharp Objects in 2018. Oh, okay. Which is, by the way, Sharp Objects. If you haven't seen it or anyone out there that hasn't seen that, you need to watch that immediately. It's incredible. Um, so this stars Matthew Reese of the Americans fame, uh, and he stars as the kind of dogged, beat-down, worn-out suit-wearing, stained mustard tie-wearing private detective in a time of immense corruption in the Los Angeles Police Department. Post-World War I, pre-World War II, he's hired to investigate the cases that the police can't be trusted with, or, as in the rather comical opening scene, a blackmail plot to capture illicit pictures of a silent movie-era oaf. This has an amazing cast, including John Lithgow, uh, T-1000 himself, Robert Patrick, And Shea Wiggum, who for me is a character actor who always adds about 25% to any movie or show that I'm watching. Matthew Rhys plays Mason with a real lived-in emptiness. Um, He's a 40-something man, not so much at the crossroads of middle age, but on on an endless roundabout to self-destruction. He's a lost soul, um, expressionless during a very funny lovemaking scene. Um, And then stony face during a packed movie theater where all the audience are in hysterical fits of laughter except him. So it's a surprise then that somehow with all of this kind of lack of emotion and darkness, he somehow manages to bring um, the kind of cliche damaged hero, but also play the part with a masterful ease and warmth. And despite the bleak and sometimes gory scenes on display, Um, There are also laughs, which make this more than just a hard-hitting and unrelenting nasty film noir pastiche as it may appear from the outside. Um, Despite a talented ensemble, so far in episode one, the camera barely leaves Perry Mason's side. And with sparse dialogue from our hero, we somehow manage to absorb the warmth of the character via osmosis through the screen. There are clues to where his soul may have been lost, perhaps as an infantry soldier in a war or due to a failed marriage or absence of being a reliable father to his child. But those secrets appear to be two or three steps ahead. And not unlike Don Draper in Mad Men, the plot is simply a vessel to take us to our real destination, which is unlocking the title character's backstory as a weekly puzzle. But let's hope, uh, unlike Mad Men, for no musical fantasy scenes in this series, please. The case in question is an unrelentingly bleak and gory affair. And some viewers may balk at two scenes of real visceral unpleasantness. So discretion is advised. Um, For me, there was little diversity so far in the casting. Um, But, you know, the time period in which this is set may be the key reason. Um, I'd like to see more screen time for the, uh, the female contingent on the cast but already they are setting up Juliet Rylance, interestingly played by Mark Rylance's stepdaughter, having mentioned him earlier on the podcast, as a sassy and strong female character, um, along with Orphan Black's Tatiana Maslany, who interestingly once once smiled at me before a performance of Network on Broadway um, that she was starring in. So ever since then, I've been really interested in her career. So looking forward to seeing her character have more screen time. Um, but it appears that we will further down the line. So far, this sets up to be a really slick, well-produced, written and acted show. And although not essential, episode one is highly recommended and available on HBO Go here in the US and wherever you find your HBO content around the world. So tune in to that one.
1: Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to start that. I think it looks like it could be really good. From I've only seen sort of the trailers for it at the moment, but it look it looks visually very good as well. I like the way it looks. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they do a good job. HBO generally don't they on their production? They've
0: spared no expense on this Yeah. really. I mean, you you're in that time period. Yeah. More so than, you know, some other kind of reference points, like, um, maybe Miller's crossing or boardwalk empire or, um, road to perdition Hmm. you're in that kind of, that kind of era. Um, and it looks great. I hope it continues to be good. But stand out for me is Matthew Reese, considering he, he has, doesn't have much to say or really do. Yeah. And he's so closed and, and dark. Somehow is a really warm and, and enveloping character. And I, I really do recommend it. Sounds good. Okay, so in this week's Video Store Corner, a slight change to our regular programming. In the light of the end of the world saga that we've all been living in, for these last three to four months, this week we're switching it up and we're going to list our top five favorite apocalyptic movies, both mid and post-apocalyptic in in this case, and with a slight asterisk, which is neither Phil or I have shared our list with each other. So we're going to read these out one at a time uh, and we will unwrap them as if they are Gifts asunder our apocalyptic Christmas tree. apocalyptic gift for you.
1: Okay, I'll go first. So in no particular order, mine are, I will say, because I've got the five, but they're not in any particular order of favoritism. So the first one is 28 Days Later, which is the 2002 Danny Boyle-directed classic um, star Cillian Murphy, Naomi Harris, and Christopher Eccleston. Uh, and it's about a, a group of misguided animal rights activists that free a caged chimp infected with the rage virus from a research lab. Um, and London bike courier Jim, who was played by Cillian Murphy, wakes up from a coma a month after uh, and he finds out the city of London, this is because where it's set, has been deserted. Um, so then he's on the run from... Lots of very terrifying, horrifically fast zombies, which I think is mm. one of the main things that makes this film even more tense is that how horrifically fast, uh, the zombies are. Cause normally you're used to those shambling type zombies. Uh, and yeah, this is completely different. Um, so yeah, it's about his struggle trying to survive, finding hooking up with a group of survivors. Um, one of which is, um, Selena, who's played by Naomi Harris, uh, and a cab driver, um, who's played by Brendan, uh, Brendan Gleeson. Um, and yeah, it's just a great film. And I think it's, especially in the scenes that are in it, that they managed to get. And I think either they, I think it was a mixture. They might have filmed very, very early in the morning, and but also got parts of the City of London shut down. And they managed to get some, absolutely amazing and really eerie shots of deserted London, just areas that you are so used to seeing packed with people and traffic. And
0: so, yeah, that was a real standout point for that one for me. Quite apt for today as well, where you can yeah. probably, well, as of a few months ago, could have got similar shots yourself on your phone. Probably could. <laughs> yeah. Or... yeah. So that's mine. It's a great choice. Yeah. Didn't, didn't think much of the sequel to be no, honest, but I didn't either. Didn't, didn't like the sequel very much. So for me, um, going straight in here in no particular order would be the modern classic 2015's Mad Max Fury Road, Ooh. which is just an incredible movie directed by George Miller, who of course directed the original trilogy, um, this time starring Tom Hardy in the in the Max Rokotansky role. And... Um, and Charlize Theron as Imperator Furiosa, who's brilliant in this, as is Nicholas Holt um, as, as Nux. And this, I mean, this movie is just a th- an absolute thrill ride. It sounds like a cliche. I remember seeing it in an IMAX theater in 2015. To be honest, I haven't actually seen it since. I've, I bought it on 3D Blu-ray. Um, I've meant to watch it again, but I'm actually a little bit scared because I enjoyed it so much. I think it's such a perfect movie. That I could, I couldn't bear to watch it again and pick holes in it. I'm about to shock you because miles, because I've not actually seen it ahead Okay, <laughs> if uh, the listeners can hear me, I'm, I'm actually threatening. <laughs> he is. He's visually right threatening now. me. I can see him, and he's. <laughs> I if, do uh, want, to this I really want to see world, it. I really want to see it. In World. I would be. I'd be chasing you across the desert in a car with skulls and spikes on it. All kinds of things on it. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't seen it, you need to see it. Oh, no. um, the petition starts here, um, but an absolutely perfect movie. It it picked up a ton of awards, Oscar nominations, and so on, yeah. um, and was absolutely right to do so. Um, you need you simply need to see it. Right, I am going to go on to my second,
1: Escape from New York, nineteen eighty one, the classic directed by John Carpenter. Starring Kurt Camp Russell. Um,
0: As Snake Pliskin. Snake Pliskin.
1: So, plot being what happens when the President of the United States is taken hostage in New York City years after the island of Manhattan is turned into a massive maximum security prison Connolly, Colony? Colony. colony. <laughs> Sean Connery. <laughs> colony. Colony. Uh, you send in Snake Pliskin, of course. So... Yeah, this is this is a classic. He land, it's just um it's quite a crazy film. Uh he basically has to enter the colony, which is the city of New York, and fight mm-hmm. his way to the president through all of these um ruffians that are filling the city. Um but I think I think it was really well done. I think it had some really good scenes and some low budget, but Okay, special effects for the time. Mm. I thought it was, I, I I love this film. I don't like the sequels at all, but
0: no. But Escape from New York, Escape I really really liked. Yeah, I, I think it's a great movie as well. And I think as you say around the budget, it must have been impossible to make this movie on a shoestring budget because of the basically the visual effects that it calls for and the setting. Yeah, and the sets absolutely and that kind of thing. I've actually felt a bit like Snake Pliskin myself these last few months, rolling around New York, um, but. Actually, really interesting point about that is that for you video game fans out there, um, Hideo Kojima, who created the Metal Gear Solid franchise, um, originally based Solid Snake on Snake Plissken and Kurt Russell's performance with the voice acting as well. Um, hence the eye so that exactly, hence the eye patch. So, you know, if if you are a fan of the Metal Gear Solid games, maybe you should go back and check out Escape from from New York. Great choice, Phil. <laughs> um, my, my next one is one I've kind of mentioned today, actually. And this is a film that I just love. Um, it's Joseph Kaczynski's Oblivion. Uh, and this stars Tom Cruise and Andrea Reesborough who have what appears to be a quote-unquote effective team being left alone on Earth after a huge war where all of Earth's inhabitants have left. Um, Tom Cruise and Andrea Riesborough are left there to harvest water and take care of the drones that are keeping the scavenger aliens that have destroyed the planet from disrupting the machinery put there to help. Um, So I don't know if a lot of people like this movie or not. Uh, I saw this again in the theater. It blew my mind. The effects are amazing. Um, You know, Tom Cruise's bubble ship when he's flying around in this kind of, you know, Apple-designed almost um, you know, um, uh, kind of hover car type thing. Um, the score is absolutely incredible, as I mentioned by M83 earlier. I just love it. The cinematography in this makes it for me uh, by the um, Chilean director of photography, Claudio Miranda, who won the Oscar for Life of Pi. Um, he was nominated for uh, cinematography for Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And he, he really cut his teeth on a lot of the, the kind of Fincher movies through the nineties, like fight club seven, um, you know, as he was in different roles and gaffer roles and that kind of thing. But he, as soon as I see he's the cinematographer attached to any movie or project I'm, I'm in because he uses this symmetry. Um, and interestingly, a lot of this movie was filmed in Iceland talking about Iceland um, in a different situation. <laughs> a bit different. Um <laughs> Um, but he uses that landscape to take up most of the frame and this film just looks and sounds gorgeous the script maybe has its issues um, but if you like sci-fi post-apocalyptic if, if you can stomach tom cruise um, absolutely amazing and the same team um, so the cinematographer director and of course tom cruise himself are all teaming up in the new top gun maverick movie which is coming very soon and if the flight scenes or anything to be believed, like they are here in Oblivion, it should be an amazing movie to watch. Brilliant.
1: So next on my list, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to shout snap. When I, this is exciting, isn't it? I like this.
0: I think I reckon there's going to be one. You reckon? I reckon there's going to. I be don't one. know.
1: Yeah, and I will shout snap. Okay, all right. Twelve monkeys. Oh no, snap! So that's a great choice. 1995. Directed by Terry, uh, Terry Gilliam, starring Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt. So it's probably one of the weirder films on this list. Um, so it stars Bruce Willis as James Cole, a futuristic prisoner who sent back to 1996, back to 1996 uh, to, prevent, <laughs> <laughs> to prevent the release of a deadly virus that wiped out much of civilization. Uh, when he's sent back uh, to the wrong time period, uh, he's mistaken for a lunatic and taken to a mental hospital where he meets Jeffrey Goins, who's portrayed by Brad Pitt. Um, I I love this film. I think it's a 90s classic. It's got such good imagery in it. Just great cinematography from Gilliam. Yeah. And yeah, I think any fan of time travel and dystopian future will love it.
0: I feel like this is a movie that's almost been forgotten. Like people don't talk about this anymore. Yeah, it was huge in the nineties. I remember massive. when it came out.
1: Yeah, yeah it was, uh, but I, I love it. I still i've seen, i saw it quite recently. Actually, they were showing it on TV, and I I, was, I I watched it, loved it. This
0: might surprise you, but considering my my memories of the Lost Boys, um, which we discussed on a previous podcast, the only thing that, that that reminds me of that movie, in this case, <laughs> it's it's Brad Pitt. Get no, actually, sorry, it's Bruce Willis. Getting hosed down and scrubbed, <laughs> butt naked. Yeah, he does. <laughs> That's the only scene I remember about this movie. That's the only really? thing. Really? I think. Yeah, I, I I need to talk to someone. I need a therapist. I need to, <laughs> you need to watch it again. Well, are you not my therapist? Is that not what this <laughs> sounds- is? I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm just here to talk about the movie scenes that affected me as a
1: child. <laughs> See, it explains so much to me. but um Be scrubbed. I I thought Brad Pitt was great in it because he plays that just crazy lunatic guy. And he's doing the whole like rolling eyes, like tapping his head all the time. And he does it really well. He's great. Fucking excellent
0: choice. Um, So my choice is slightly more miserable. Um, It's John Hillcoat's The Road, which is based on the book of the same name, starring Viggo Mortensen and a young Cody Smith McPhee as a father and son who are wandering through the uh, post-apocalyptic American wasteland to reach the sea. Um, so firstly, I read the book years ago, absolutely loved the book, incredible. This movie, it's the perfect recreation of that book, heartbreaking, real, visceral, superbly acted. I remember me and my partner at the time bawling our eyes out after we watched it together and um, it's a real roller coaster of a movie um, you know if if you like things a little bit less on the sci-fi uh, and the shiny side then then I really recommend the road um, probably again the kind of movie you, you don't want to watch you know on a sunny day um, but uh, but definitely recommended
1: it. yeah it's a good film it's really good and Will tenson's amazing in it as well but I think he's pretty mm. good in everything he's in mm-hmm so still no snap. Uh, it's coming. I guarantee it. I know it is. You reckon? I don't think it is. I, I don't think it is now. I don't think you're going to have any of the ones. That I'm, going to... I'm going to shout snap when you say okay. it. Okay. Next. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Ooh. 2014. Directed by Matt Reeves. Starring mm. uh, Gary Oldman and Andy Serkis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this one's set Ten years after the simian flu wiped out most of the world's human population, um, and Andy Serkis uh, plays the ape tribe leader Caesar in one of his amazing motion-captured uh, performances. Who mm-hmm. we well, we know he is the master of that art. Uh, uh, in yeah, in a world where he's forced to coexist with Gary Oldman's Dreyfus, uh um, and yeah, it's just about both species fighting for survival. Mm. Um, and it's got some absolutely phenomenal special effects. I think a lot, like all of those newer planet of the Apes films do. I think yeah. they're fantastic looking films. Um, yeah. And I think it's well worth a watch that it's got, you know, again, strong performances. And I really like that franchise.
0: This this opening sequence in this movie, um, where they are the two kind of warring um, tribes in the in the woods in the redwood forest, it looks like in um, in California, mm. is filmed so well. I remember seeing that that the first time, and that opening scene is so absorbing and incredible. That wet rainforest, you know, yeah, um, incredible. Also, as well, stars Kerry Russell who, interestingly is the co-lead of the Americans TV show starring Matthew Reese who's now in Perry Mason hmm. and they actually were husband and wife and that they actually got married yep so just an interesting callback to, link, right? to something that we discussed earlier yeah um I don't want to keep name dropping but I did actually meet her outside of it oh la production she was in <clears throat> in uh, on Broadway <laughs> um but no e- an excellent excellent choice um that surprises me actually I didn't think I didn't know you you like that film oh, I love those yeah. what a great choice. Come on. We've got one left each, have we? No. So, well, I know, I know this isn't going to be a snap. Yeah. I, I've I've got two. I've got two. You've got oh, one. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I know this isn't going to be a snap. Yeah. You, okay. Because I know you haven't seen it. And our listeners are going to be appalled. Oh, God. Going to be, they might as well. This is the highest grossing movie of all time. <laughs> Avengers Endgame. So... Post-apocalyptic. You're probably thinking someone that hasn't seen it. How?
1: No spoilers, please. I've Somehow um, managed to not have this spoil. Even though, I, I'm sorry, I'm listeners. Not gonna, that I'm I've not going to
0: give it. you spoilers. I'm not going to give you spoilers. But what's funny is, is that I've seen this. Pretty much everyone that's listening to this has yeah. seen it, and you have The whole world, so when I say these... apart from me, has seen <laughs> this film. Yeah. Well, this is why it's the highest grossing movie. Everyone, apart from you, has seen yeah. it. Um, so I'm going to say things that don't spoil it, but will hopefully lead a little breadcrumb trail to you and. Everyone at home, the petition starts now to get Phil to watch this movie and Avengers Infinity War, which he also hasn't seen. So how can I sum up Avengers Endgame? Wow. Um, I saw this three times in theatres. It has blown my mind every time I've seen it. The body count from Infinity War. The five years later, the opening scene to portals. To I Love You 3000. Mm. I'm not crying, you're crying. You need to see this movie and you need to see Avengers Infinity War. And we need to get this on a- an episode of the podcast where we actually talk about it because this movie fucking blew me away from start to finish. Yeah. It's for me, it's a perfect. We
1: definitely need to do that. As if we've got any listens left after I've just admitted I've wa-
0: not watched the. <laughs> To, to be honest, I'm thinking about leaving the podcast as well.
1: <laughs> don't, because it'll just be me left, just watching films about Eurovision and talking about films I've not seen.
0: Well, we talked. We talked about Alan Silvestri earlier with the Back to the Future score. He does the score here. Mm. The work he does here is incredible. Right, is incredible. How this didn't win an Oscar, I don't know. But the uh, the work here is absolutely amazing. And I when I saw this in the theater, there was a moment in there. Where I saw people physically levitate above the seats <laughs> and scream with sheer joy, with tears of joy. Um, all of your fantasies come alive. I'm not a huge comic book fan or nerd. Mm. I've always loved graphic novels and dipping in and out of them. Um, but where this takes things is just next level filmmaking and absolutely incredible. And, you know, it is post apocalyptic. I can't recommend it enough. I shall watch it, I promise. Are we
1: going to get a snap? You're not, you could, I don't think you'll think, I don't think you'll think this is on the, this should be on the list. Dread, not, not, not the shit 1992 slice alone. You're talking about Dread 3d. Yeah. With Carl Urban. Urban. Yeah. 2012 directed by Pete Travis. So yeah, it's not the 1992 one, which was awful. And I actually. I don't know why, but I gave that another ch- chance recently, the 92 one, and I, it doesn't need it. It's
0: terrible. With Rob Schneider and Sylvester Stallone. It's so
1: terrible. And I love Stallone, but that should not have been made. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is the 2012 adaption starring Carl Urban. So uh, he's the lawman bringing justice in the post-apocalyptic landscape of the collapsing mega city one. Oh yeah. Which I just love the name of that. Um, and yeah, this is adapted from the judge dread comics, the classic comics, Mm -hmm. uh, and paints a picture of a future where police have the power to play judge jury and executioner. Um, and I've, I've always loved that about the Dread. I think it's such an interesting idea. I've read, I think it's only like one of the books I've read, but I just really like the premise of the, the Dread sort of universe and Mega City One and everything. Um, mm. Yeah, and this also has uh, Lena he- Heady in it, uh, mm-hmm. Reedy. not Cersei. Cersei Lannister. Um, mm-hmm. And she plays a, a drug lord, Marmar, which is pretty bad character name, I think. <laughs> um yeah and it's just uh it's really violent but it's it's great I think it's a great film I remember seeing it in 3d I think it's one of the first films Mm -hmm. that you know I know it's died a bit of a death uh I didn't see it at the cinema but I saw it on 3d blu-ray uh so I know yeah I know home 3d stuff sort of died a bit of a death really but it looked great and it's just got some really cool action sequences in it and the load of the slow motion stuff, you know. But I, I loved it. I mm. thought it was a great
0: film. That's the drug, isn't it? They take yeah, they drug, take the drug and, and it makes everything go slow motion
1: down. and the bullets go, you yeah, know, it's all bullet time and everything. But it's really stylish. It's a really stylish
0: soundtrack as well. Holy yeah. hell, that soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. It's like being punched in the face and kicked <laughs> in the right. ass at the same and time. Carl Urban's awesome in it as well. Plays the yeah. grumpy dread very well. No, he really does. I know he was petitioning for a sequel as well, but I don't think, unfortunately, it made that much money. But yeah, it's, I was looking at that last year. because everyone movie.
1: wants it. Everyone wants
0: it. Mm. But, you know, maybe it shouldn't happen. It's whether people actually pay for it. That's the yeah. problem these days, sadly. Well, I think much like you, I'm not sure whether this is post-apocalyptic. I, I think it is because there are scenes of the apocalypse and there is a post-apocalyptic climax. So, <sighs> Independence Day. <laughs> everything about it yeah Um, welcome to earth whooping E.T.'s ass President Thomas J. Whitmore's speech (laughs) we will not go quietly into the night Um, being a kid growing up in the UK and seeing all these US landmarks that looked real being destroyed um, blew my mind and practical effects. Th- though, this mate. was one of those <sighs> practical. Yeah, you made all the models, yeah. didn't they? Blow them up. That's why it looks so good. Yep. I know. I miss. I miss. I miss yeah. that. Um, I know that Chris Nolan uses a lot of practical yeah. effects, and that's
1: what stock. I love so much about his stuff.
0: Real. It feels yeah. real. Um, but you know, this is just amazing. I think you know all the performances in there. You've got Jeff fucking Goldblum in this movie. Oof. Um, you've got Will Smith. In this movie, you've even got Harry Connick Jr. in this movie. Um, Judd Hirsch. Uh, I
1: forgot he was in it. You, you, I'm not seeing it for a while. the
0: The cast the cast is absolutely incredible. David,
1: <laughs> David.
0: Um. Oh crap. <laughs> um. There's so many good actors in this, and um, and even the script is amazing. The way it unfolds, incredible. It was just more of a kid thing. But seeing this in the cinema was huge. Yeah, Probably part of the reason, part of the reason that I wanted to to move to New York. And not to be glib, but I kind of always thought that I'd be in this city when the world ended. Do you know what I mean? And I've kind really? of been living that that like a post-apocalyptic, you know, end of days um, scenario here for the last few months. Yeah. Like a lot of people. Um so Independence Day. Just, you know, it's really a fun one on the list, but absolutely love it. The sequel was terrible. Don't watch yeah. that. Yeah,
1: don't watch that. But great film, first one. Well, I can't believe we didn't have any. So guys, any uh snaps?
0: Zero snaps. That's amazing. And that's why we do what we do so well. <laughs> Yin and yang. I promise we didn't talk to each other about this before. That's good. I think we should probably, we'll try and do more of these uh, lists and, and you know, let us know what you think. You feel free to reach out to us, DM us uh, on social media and let us know if we screwed up, if we missed anything. We'd be happy to listen to your feedback. So that's it. On next week's podcast, we'll be bringing you more of the same with news reviews and hopefully an interview and all of the regular movie-related fun. But before we go, please follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts at at Podcast and hit subscribe or give us a nice five-star review on your podcast player of choice. We look forward to sliding into your ear canals and staying there until she canna take no more, (laughs) Captain. Philip. Yes.
1: Salutations. (laughs) Salutations to you, my old chum.
0: I'll be seeing you. Bye then. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.